Welcome to the School for Mystics podcast with Misha Seidel and Marina Galan. In this podcast, Marina and I will share with you unique and contrarian perspective of how our lives really work. Hello, Marina. Good morning, Misha. How are you today? As always, incredibly great, especially because today is episode number 20. We have our anniversary. There you go. We are celebrating then. We are celebrating and we have prepared something special for our listeners. Well, not only that, we already celebrated by having chocolate for breakfast. Yes. <laughs> now, <laughs> now we are actually going to share the joy with our listeners. Yeah. Sweet. So today we're going to talk about our biggest lessons from business and life. Biggest lessons from business and life. Yes. But before we dive into our life stories and lessons, can I ask you something? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why I'm asking before I'm asking. I think it's coaching habit. It's a false politeness. Come on. Yes, it is. It is a false politeness. So you mentioned something like digitally absolute. Yeah. So, yeah, something, something like that. Yeah. So I asked you about the use of language in coaching and you said that the best coaches are digitally absolute i never said that i said that i wasn't having a conversation with someone who was telling me that he has come to admire certain qualities in this understanding one of them being pointing to the absolute in a digital way can you explain unpack for me what does it mean to be absolute in digital way? Yeah, so I didn't know either, so I had to ask him. <laughs> but he told me that we point to absolutism, so like truth beyond opinion or the unknown or oneness. So there is there is a certain language that becomes very digital. So either everything or nothing, truth or non-truth, but, but there are no grays. So it's either black or white. So you're saying like binary. Yeah. Right. Like binary. That's why digital. Right? Yes. Is there a zero or one? Exactly. Like some things are true, whether you believe in them or not. Right. Like gravity. Yes. Right. Yesterday, as I was walking around the block, in my mind, I had a conversation with Eckhart Tolle. Sweet. <laughs> how, how is he doing? <laughs> well, he's doing fairly well. I asked him a question about... So Eckhart, in, in his books, and he talks about that um, online... So he's explaining his idea and he explains that as absolute truth of pain bodies. 
Have you heard of that before? Yeah. Yeah. Like energetic pain bodies. Yes. And in my head, I was like, dude, you're saying something that cannot be at this moment proved scientifically. And it very much looks like your own story. And I don't even know where this is coming from. So being such a humble and you know, modest person and at the same time incredibly intelligent, how do you know whether it's your story or you're actually telling the truth? What did he tell you? I think he went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> he was bored to death. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like his explanation was in my hand. Was about knowing truth and feeling the truth. So the moment he explained what he feels as the truth, he... The words has become pointers and not the truth. But he knows for sure that this is the way he feels. And he knows that he feels the truth. Yeah. No, it's interesting that you that you mentioned that because this morning I was reflecting on the pleasure that understanding brings and how addictive it can become. But that just sends us into a never-ending spiral of wanting to conceptualize and intellectualize things so that we can understand them at some point and get that fix, that hit of pleasure. Mm -hmm. And how that has absolutely nothing to do with the feeling of resting in the unknown. And, and here we go, digital. Resting in the unknown and just knowing something beyond the intellect, beyond the concept. And, and how that points in the completely opposite direction of the pleasure of understanding something, you know, that aha moment of, oh yeah, I got it. This time I got it. And, and how it's not about that, because that it will always be about the content of what you're getting and not about the fact that you're getting it. Make sense? Yeah. But at the same time, it's sometimes really difficult. Like when I listen to Esther Hicks or like Abraham Hicks, or when I'm listening to uh, representatives of 3P community, <laughs> this what you call digital absoluteness actually frightens me, to be honest. It's not that the content is mind-blowing or impossible to believe in. It is just the um, confidence that whatever these people are saying is right and there is no other way. So absoluteness in anything frightens me because I'm someone who is coming from the middle ground. 
I neither reject nor accept. And I love being there all the time. Cool. I think there's, I think there might be a misunderstanding in, in the way you are, you're seeing it. I don't know, but I don't think there, there ever has been an affirmation of this is right. I think right is already a polarization of the rational mind. See, this is, this is not about something that is right or wrong. This is something that is trying to point to what is beyond right or wrong. But I understand what you're saying. And at the same time, every tradition, including the understanding of the three principles, is, is an invitation to experience it yourself. Nobody in the, in the three principles community has ever said, this is true and you must believe it. No, even Sid said, I'm not interested in followers. You need to go and find this out for yourself. Yeah. Do not take my word for it. Do not take anything I say. And this is what I like about this guy. You know, being very low-key, amazing sense of humor. And yeah, and so telling, even, telling people some really great stuff. Even though they, even though they are pointing to absoluteness they are not doing it in an absolute way never well at least some of them okay well it depends on who we're talking about but exactly <laughs> but yeah i mean at least the people that my friend was referring to <laughs> yes okay in the conversation that i had with him i'll buy this yeah yeah but I understand what you mean. I understand what you mean. And, and yes, the, the, the invitation is always go and find out for yourself. No, nobody can walk this path for you. For sure. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to believe. You can walk your own path and believe whatever you want to believe. And well, if, if we coincided in our beliefs, amazing. If not, amazing as well. Yeah. And again, we're not pointing to the content on belief, but the operation of belief and how it plays out, plays out and manifests in our lives. So yeah. regardless of what it is. I like what the, when you're saying it's an invitation to possibility. Yeah, you know, there you go. That's interesting. Okay, so now let's deliver the promise. 10 minutes later, we are starting to think about whether we should begin. Yes, okay. Can I start? Please, by all means, because I have no idea what I am going to say in terms of lessons. Go for it. Okay, so at least you'll have time to think. I think one of the most important lessons from my business and life, because business is life, is the idea of control. So... Since I remember myself, I had a dream to become rich one day, okay? <laughs> now, please, no laughing at me. Yes, I have the dream. And I remember, I even have these journals still now when I was like 16 or 17 years old and I would describe how wealth exactly looks like for me. 
I would write, okay, this is the house I want to have. It has like three stories and these are the windows and this is how the house looks like and these are the trees, like to that detail. And then I had this idea of how much money I want to have and how I want to live and um, whether I'm going to have like personal chef or, you know, like, like all of that. So I have envisioned all of that crazy stuff. And then I would write exact steps. And they were like hundreds of these steps. Hundreds? Yeah, to, to get to that level of wealth I was envisioning for myself. Okay. And I was 16 at that point. And I gave myself a promise that no matter what, I will follow these steps for the next 10 years. So uh, I envisioned that it's going to take me around 10 years to get there. And for every step, I have put a date. When exactly this will happen for me. For example, I decided that by the age, by the time I am 24 years old, I should or I will become a general manager of a corporation. By the time I'm 26, I will get my MBA degree. By the time I'm 28, this is what I have. So I, I had that level of detail and I knew where I live, what should I do, like who, who I should marry, like all of that. Okay. Okay. So the good part is that I had a discipline to execute on every step. A discipline? What do you mean by a discipline? No matter whether I loved it or not, I would make a step. Okay, and by the time I was 24, I became a director of a multinational company in my country, and I had exactly the number of employees I have put in my journal. Like, I had all the achievements under my belt that I have put in my journal. So I was following my plan. And 12 years after I had my MBA, I've had all the positions I have put, had all of that. Every step was done and I had nothing as a result. There you go. So you can plan as much as you want, but life doesn't give a shit. There you go. So, so I've what's, done what's the lesson? The lesson came four years after. Okay. So you're, you're killing me here. Come on. Yeah. So I was, I realized that I'm looking at my journal and I'm like, okay, check, 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 check every step, literally dozens of them were executed to the perfect. I've done exactly what I told myself I'm going to do when I was like 16 years old. Okay. I had 
for example, one of the points was to live in four countries. And I've done it. One of the points was to manage two companies. And I've done it. Like all of that and to be a crisis manager. So, and then I look at these steps and I realize, first, I'm still not wealthy. <laughs> I don't have all the big material stuff I planned for myself. But on top of that all, I was deeply unhappy. And not because I did not get what I wanted, but because I actually got what I wanted, meaning that I have executed all the steps. I wanted the process, I have executed, and all the process made me deeply <laughs> unhappy person. Like I've done some horrible, you know, shit to make this step to myself. Right. So let me understand this deeply. Not only did you not get the result, but the enjoyment you thought you would get from the process was not even there. Exactly. And, and what had actually happened throughout the process had placed you in a space in which you looked at yourself and did not like what you saw. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. So I'm looking at this journal and I'm thinking... Fuck it, it doesn't work. And also, I'm sending fuck yous to all the gurus and planners like Robert Kiyosaki's of this world, like all the guys. <laughs> I'm literally cursing at them, you know, like nonstop. I'm like, ah, it's your fault, you motherfucker. You told me it's going to work, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and it worked. And by the way, generally, I don't curse that much in my life. It's it's only with you. <laughs> okay, I don't. I'm I'm not gonna make anything out of that. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at my journal and I'm like, from now on, I'm just gonna enjoy my life, and I'm just gonna relax because I've tried, I've done it all, I didn't get what I expected, it doesn't work. From now on. I will just allow the flow of life to take me wherever it wants. So that year, I I don't know why, but um, I decided to start writing. And I have written my kind of first semi-book that is called Efficiency Journal. And it was downloaded occasionally without me expecting anything, like 50,000 times. <laughs> and then I decided to keep going and writing because I, it just felt like this is what my life wants of me. And I just keep going. Like I was literally unstoppable. I hired editors and they were not able to keep up with me. Like I was writing faster than they were editing. One day, I wake up and I um, sign into my Facebook. And suddenly, 2,500 people decided to become my friends. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, I'm looking at them. I'm like, who are you? Like, what is happening? 
So it happened that one of my posts that I have written way back has become viral. It was shared 3,500 of times or something like that. And the people, and they keep, you know, like flooding and adding me and asking for my help. Suddenly I had a business. And... Ta-da! And like, I, I still was employed by another company and I kind of liked my job. But then suddenly all these people, they want something from me. And uh, initially I was helping them for free, but I didn't have time for that. So I had to hire a team. <laughs> and to pay the team, I had to start charging these people for my help. And a few years later, I have realized more than I ever you know, dreamed of in terms of like wealth and monetary things and material possessions, etc. So the big lesson is I never knew what's going to happen. I never knew that this post will become viral. I never knew that these people would need my help. I never knew that I will have this kind of business. And my success is not about me trying or doing something for like 10 years and putting all of effort. No, I just done what I thought life wants of me. And that happened. And the big lesson here is there is nothing under your control. So just relax and sing your song. Wow. Yeah. So you became successful in spite of you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Really interesting. Nothing is under control. What do you mean by sing your song? Once you realize that there is not much you can influence directly. There is no point of telling life how it should uncover itself everything is just is and the only thing that can be yours that depends on you is listening to the song of your spirit and opening your mouth to sing it how do you listen to yourself Oh, it's, it has become very easy. I look at the mirror and I say, and I ask Misha, what do you want to do? <laughs> and no matter how crazy that sounds now, this is exactly what I'm going to do. Hmm. Do you think, Misha, that we spend a lot of time weighing the pros and cons and negotiating with ourselves? When, when it's absolutely unnecessary? It's, it has taken me so many years. You know what was my first job? I was a, I was a teacher. You know, so that I, I was a teacher of English and I was motivational teacher, kind of speaker, etc. 
That was my first, first job, very, very first. I loved it so much. I enjoyed every minute of it. Well, you're not that far off now, are you? Oh, this is exactly my job now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Like, I always knew, but it took me 14 years to realize. So, 14 years of pros and cons. And asking myself, what should I do? And not listening to myself about what I should really do. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. And you know, at the same time, I wish I could say that I regret these 14 years or 12 years or whatever number of years. Or I regret following my journal and breaking myself and doing that. You see, it has made me such a good teacher <laughs> because I, I can teach by example now like I know exactly how many people feel because I felt the same and you've become aware of it yeah okay okay now tell me what's your lesson oh man I don't know why, but I think my lesson would have to do with kindness. Staying kind. No matter what. Like, find the place in you where you can connect with that energy. Because you see, kindness kind of implies humility. It kind of implies presence. It kind of implies recognizing, recognition. And I don't, I want to be very clear here. I do not mean kindness only going outwards. I am talking about a kindness that includes yourself, that includes you, whatever that may mean in the moment. And so it, because it implies humility and it implies recognition and it implies presence, these are all um, not only qualities, but disciplines, like you were saying, disciplines that inevitably bring us back to ourselves inevitably bring us back to the core of creativity, the core of possibility, the core of resilience, the core of love. And we, we don't necessarily always know how to be kind. Like it's not a how to because it has more to do with the come from, with the source, with the origin of than, than an action per se or a result per se. It has a lot more to do with the come from than the delivery. 
And so in a way, remaining kind seems to have to do with, with going back, with going deep, with going into ourselves, the intimate. And somehow it allows us to harvest, I think would be the word, it allows us to harvest all those qualities in a single second, in a single place. See, the intention of kindness involves all this. It forces you to let go of certainty. It forces you to let go of judgment. It forces you to look beyond separation in the moment. It forces you to go beyond concepts. In a way, it forces you to lay down all the baggage that you are bringing with you and, and rest for a second in a possibility that will bring you out of yourself. <laughs> I know this may not make a lot of sense right now, but this is, this is where, this is where I am. And when you ask me, what would be your biggest lesson? Man, all these feelings came flowing through. You know, like I could see my mind going into, yes, well, the unknown and, you know, like what you're saying, you're not in control. But, but if I go deeper, you know, what is behind you're not in control? What is behind you exist in the unknown? What is behind you are infinitely creative? What is behind don't listen to your thinking? Don't listen to your judgment. What is behind all that, like the last territory for me right now is kindness. Mm. Would you say that kindness is similar to compassion? I think it, in, it involves compassion. But I, I would not, I would not say it is purely compassion. It has to do with compassion. I like the word compassion, you know, the, the ability to share a passion, the ability to share a suffering. But kindness is not only about suffering, you see? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kindness is also in joy. Kindness is also in rest. Kindness is also in almost in neutrality. Kindness is, is nothing, is, is not necessarily to do with the other. It can also have to do with me. It can also, also have to do with everything. It can also have to do with existence itself. You also mentioned 
that for you kindness is not only towards someone, towards other people, but also towards yourself. Can you share or can you explain how kindness looks from behavioral point of view? Like practical. <laughs> well, again, it's before the form, it's before the behavior. Yeah. You see, Be the second we go into what does it look like, we are lost in tangles because then, then it has to do with judgment. It has to do with how. Mm -hmm. It has to do with the with after the therefore. Right. You see, and we are so good at tangling ourselves up and limiting ourselves in terms of. <sighs> turning capabilities into expressions of those capabilities, right? So we think that spiritual people look like Zen and Dalai all the time. And it's not true. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like spiritual people don't get angry. Oh my God. <laughs> spiritual people don't get sad. Oh my God. Right? Or wise people. Wise people never get, never get angry. Violence is non-wise or, oh, well, that, that's just not true. Mm -hmm. Violence looks very wise when you see uh, a mother bear trying to save her cub. Mm -hmm. It looks incredibly wise. But, but we make up these ideas about the behavior and, and what it should look like. So... You know, kindness is, is kindness taking away something that your kid is eating and that will make him sick. Is that kindness or not? It's never in the behavior, you see. It's, it goes beyond the behavior. It has to do with the energy that is behind it, with a recognition of a deeper possibility. So you're saying the question is incorrect and the better question or better two questions will be how does it look like exactly and where do you find it so when you feel and you probably heard about this phrase loving kindness and you you meet that a lot a lot in the books and um, yesterday i was reading the book by uh, i think john gilbert and he's switching the word love into friendly kindness because for people it's quite hard to transition immediately to the loving kindness and a good step will be friendly kindness and then loving kindness so when you feel the source of kindness and this energy flowing through you how do you actually exactly like how do you exactly feel that what is the feeling like how do we recognize that this is what we are feeling now well, it feels like peace. Yeah. It feels like tenderness. Mm -hmm. but, but boy, can it feel disruptive. You know, like love is the most disruptive force in the universe. It washes away everything we can possibly build against it. It doesn't care. There is no sentimentality in love 
and when we think there is, we are we are looking at a very particular human expression of of what we think love is. It's a it's a complete concept, and so in the same way, kindness has not to do with. Um, I don't even know what to call it, you know, like the, the lovingly uh, bears that we could send with hearts and, and hugs and cuddles. No, it is, it is not of that nature. It is not of that order. It can be incredibly disruptive as well. But, but it is rooted in a deeper recognition. So you're saying it feels like quiet feeling. It, it is very peaceful, but also there is intensity to it as well. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an incredibly... Yeah. Incredibly intense feeling. That's what you're saying. Also interesting. It's an incredibly powerful mm -hmm. force. Yeah. Also interesting the source, right? Like how do you get to the source of it? Like it's not that, but I, I guess that's what happened to me. Like you just wake up one day and suddenly it is there. But is there a way to get to the source of kindness? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy prescriptions. I know, but but if I had to, <laughs> <laughs> if I absolutely had to bring a prescription, I would, I would say, realize that you don't know. Mm. And it's not place yourself in the unknown. No, it's realize that that your certainties are made up. You know. So another way of saying that would be, sure, let go of your certainties. Yeah. That's how you access it. Mm. Let go of your certainties. But letting go of your certainties can sound like an exercise. And as long as it remains in the behavioral, you know, let, let's do the exercise. Let's let go of our of our certainties for a little while. And then on the way out, we mm -hmm. can pick them up again, which is true. But a deeper level of understanding would be to realize that your certainties are made up and that actually life constantly, constantly brings up challenges to put them in doubt. Yeah. You know, as an invitation for you to go deeper. So in a way, kindness becomes a manifestation. It becomes proof that you have gone deeper. Wow, I love it. I think that's the best prescription possible. I would add that it's not only you don't know, but nobody knows. Nobody knows. And everybody's making it up. Yeah. And it's so innocent. 
And it can be so charming when you see it, you know, and it's like, oh my God, you're creating all this suffering for yourself. And I am creating mine as well, you know, like we're just, we're just creating it with different content, but we are doing it the exact same thing. And we cannot take it seriously when we see through it. Yeah. And this is exactly where you take kindness towards others and compassion for yeah. not knowing and being fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Thank you, Misha. Thank you. Thank you, Marina. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the School for Mystics podcast.